Welcome back to the world's greatest podcast voted 2018, 19, and 20 by National Geographic's and Time Magazine, Where Are All My Friends? That's a lie because the podcast started in 2019, so we only got that award in 2019 and 2020. I'm kidding. It's your friend, Andrew. Welcome back to another episode. This week is with Jack Gallagher, who is an artist manager most known for managing Mount Joy, amongst many others, though. And we had this really cool conversation. He tells his story. He tells the early story of Mount Joy starting, him working with them, the success they had. But really, that's only like the first 15 minutes. He came on the show specifically to talk about staying proactive in 2020 and not just sitting in the doom and gloom. It's really hard right now for the music industry, specifically managers, to stay proactive and to push a band's career forward. But he has done a very good job of exactly that. We talk about drive-in shows and the success that they've had with those, doing them safely, doing it smart. We talk about how, how fast they were at doing live shows and streaming things online and doing an entire press circuit online when an album was coming out. We talk about pre-orders and how to do merch right right now really tangible steps that everyone i feel like every artist and everyone on the industry side could listen to this and get something from it and that was exactly my goal with this i just wanted to share a proactive positive hopeful approach to music so if that interests you i think it'll be a really good episode another funny note is at the very very end we talk about how helpful going for walks has been and i know as silly as that sounds I was joking with him at the end of the episode where I was like, oh, I should say that at the beginning so somebody can go for a walk and listen to this. So if you're trying to experience this episode in the absolute fullest, put some headphones on, go for a walk right now and enjoy it. And then at the very end of this episode, you'll understand why. Let's get into it. Here we are, another episode, another week of Where Are All My Friends, this week with Jack Gallagher. And I'm hype because this was one of those ones where we met Actually, the way we met is pretty fun. You came through before all of COVID and all of that. You came through to our house in LA, um, me and Adam L. Micaias, and we made you breakfast. And you came through before a show. Adam was the breakfast god. And I really didn't know you, but through Adam, got to meet you and kind of realized, yeah, right? I miss those days. But yeah, I like kind of realized, I was like, oh, Jack like really does this. Like you are a real manager. It's not just like link or a description and in Instagram bio of this. Like you really do be doing this. So I always kind of had a feeling that it would be a fun podcast. But then all everything happened with Corona and it kind of, the conversation and the topic kind of took form in an interesting way where we now have a very specific subject to talk about. And I think that this is the perfect episode and you're the perfect person to talk to. But really just getting into ways to proactively grow a band and grow their business and keep them afloat during the weirdest year for music ever. So thank you for joining. I think this is going to be a super insightful, super cool conversation. Yeah, excited to chat. Yeah, 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 for sure. So. I want to get into a couple different topics. I really want to talk to you. I know you've been killing it with drive-in shows. You've gotten really crafty with merchandise and what you've done with them there. You've gotten, you've released music throughout the year. Like you've done pretty much everything a band can do during this time. And I really want to get into those specifics. But for anybody who doesn't know who you are and just like kind of briefly your story before we get into the nitty gritty of that, of just like what got you into managing music in the first place? In high school... I guess the reason we met was through your old roommate, Adam Elmachias. We yeah. were friends in middle school, in eighth grade. Oh, it goes back to and, middle school with him? Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that. We had a burgeoning uh, duct tape wallet company together in eighth grade, like pre, pre-algebra. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, we were in like, you know, like the same big group of friends and hung out a good bit. But we had a, this one class together where we definitely like were not the best students and mostly focused on um, making duct tape wallets and trying to see if kids would eat like the hot peppers that the teacher grew in the room. So over the years, I moved the next year to North Carolina. Um, and Adam was still in Madison, Wisconsin, where I met him. And yeah. I was kind of like a jock kid in high school until I got hurt a few times and then pivoted into working in music 
like as a junior in high school when I threw a benefit concert um, for Hurricane Katrina victims and it, and it, and it went well. Um, I kind of stumbled into it. And from that, got a couple internships from a, a local venue in North Carolina called the Cat's Cradle. Um, I know that venue. Yeah, great spot. Um, at the time, it was like a 600 cap, and now it's like an 850 cap in Carborough, North Carolina, that a lot of folks that tour have been to before. Um, and I also got an internship with a promoter in the area named Michael Reckless. And so at a pretty young age, I kind of learned how the venue side of booking bands and throwing a show and also the promoter side of um, purchasing talent, marketing uh, back then, which was like a, still a lot of flyers in my space. And then college kind of took that to the next level. Where I was booking a lot of hip hop stuff and promoting a lot of hip hop stuff at the Cat's Cradle and throwing like dance parties and stuff. And at, uh, when I was going to UNC Chapel Hill and my senior year of college, I booked a tour with a hip hop group called Camp Low, which was big in the 90s. And they were big in the 90s. And this was in 2010. So they did a tour. I think it was like 15 dates and I booked it on my own and promoted it and got the support acts and went out on the tour. I think I told like my classes that I was had mono or something. And this tour went pretty well. And one of the opening acts was uh, this guy named Stolly who had just signed to Rick Ross at the time. Um, and his manager was a dude named Dan Resnick who talked to his friend was like, this guy, this kid, Jack is like a hustler. He's pretty good at booking shows. You should get him to work at your booking agency to his best friend at the time, uh, Greg Fishman, who worked at Mood Swing 360. So I know that was a little bit all over the place. But my first job out of college was working as a, like a junior booking agent at this company, Mood Swing 360 in New York. Um, that company at the time, it was 2000, spring of 2011, they had um, LMFAO during Party Rock, Pete Wentz, Travi McCoy, a bunch of like pop electronic music. Um, and I was booking, trying to book like college shows, frat shows for them um, and working some of the, like the up and coming acts they had. Did that for a year in New York um, and left like that next spring. And at the time, I really wanted to like kind of reassess things because I'd ran out of money in New York City. So I moved back home to North Carolina um, and started managing people at that time. I'd kind of booked things, booked shows for long enough that artists would reach out to me from time to time asking if I would manage them. I didn't really know what that meant, um, but they, they were really asking me to get them shows uh, and help mm. me like build their brands. And um, that's, that's how I got into management. And that was like 2011. Um, that's since nuts, then, man. you know, when I was young, early 20s, worked in tech and a couple of different jobs. And on the side, I would manage um, until I was able to make enough money doing management to do that full time, um, which I would recommend to like, a lot of young people getting into the industry. I think, you know, it's not always this like perfect story. We can just like go into full-time managing bands. It's not, you know, early on, not always the most, um, you know, lucrative thing you could be doing out of college. But yeah, that's actually uh, a question right there. When you were yeah. booking all those shows, were you like, what was your headspace? Were you like, okay, this could be a career I'm making serious money or was it still like, all right, I need to go to college. I need to figure out something real that I'm going to do. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I think I, in college, I pivoted from like in my head, wanting to maybe go to law school or something to that effect. And then deciding I wanted to work in the music business because I just recognized that I was good at the hustle of it and enjoyed it. I still like got my degree, but you know, have I ever used my history, history degree from the University of North Carolina? Sure. But um, not in the day-to-day of a music job, but um, I just liked it, I guess. Even when I went yeah. into booking and booking is not like my favorite thing. I liked the mm-hmm. hustle. I liked building artist careers, making them money, and then you know also making money from those bookings as well. But um, when I moved back home and got into more specifically like into artist management, I, yeah. I fell in love with it pretty quickly because it was just, uh, for me, more hands-on with the artist's day-to-day career. Um, yeah like getting in the trenches with trying to get them from point A to, to Z. Yeah. No, it's just, it's, it's such an interesting spot, like that pivotal spot where I think it's funny actually too, how many people have gotten hurt playing sports and then ended up in music. Like that's not yeah. an uncommon theme, but the that, so you're like kind of reassessing your whole life. You're doing these things on the side and it's that interesting moment where it's like the, oh, what if I just did this full time? And it yeah. kind of clicks for different people at different times. So I was just curious. And 
your early days of just promoting shows, like if that inkling started to happen where you're like, yo, maybe, or if it took like a little bit more before you're like, all right, yeah, I can just do this. I think in high school, it was, it was fun. And I made actually like great money as mm-hmm. a high schooler. I was doing some shows and make like a couple thousand bucks in a night, which for like a 17 year old. Yeah, that's insane. Um, in college, I started to see the path towards like an actual, you know, profession more so than just being uh, like promoting shows. Not that that's not a profession, um, but but for me as like an individual. Okay, cool. Yeah, that answers it. And then fast forward, I guess, 2016, um, my friend Matt Quinn, the lead singer of Mount Joy, um, had written a few songs with uh, his friend from high school, Sam Cooper, who plays guitar in the band. And we put out the first song, Astrovan in October of 2016. That was um, the first song? Yeah. And it took oh. off. It was kind of like early Spotify viral days where you could yeah. like get on a playlist as a, as an un, you know, as a fr- new band and kind mm-hmm. of quickly take off and get like into their algorithm. And that happened. And in a month's time, I, you know, I was moving actually from the time from LA back to Austin, Texas. Matt Quinn dropped out of law school. He had just started like six weeks before that. Um, and we decided to like dive in um, and make a run at it. At the time, I was kind of thinking about leaving music potentially. Um, but then my friend releases this project that's really exciting. Um, so I decided like, you know, all these years weren't for, for nothing. Like I, you know, got to where I am today and hopefully we can do something with this. So I brought them to C3 management at that time and moved back to Austin, Texas. Dude, that's insane. Like he could have gone down a whole different path. He could have been like, oh, this fun thing, whatever, I'm going to do law school. And you could have been on your way out. But that fateful, whatever that serendipity was, you guys both took the chance to be like, yeah, like let's do this or let's at least see. Sam Cooper, because, the guitar player, was already a lawyer, actually. <laughs> uh, no way. He, like, he had moved back to Philadelphia from Los Angeles like that summer. Um, so we got him to come back to L.A. Because um, we had four songs recorded. So we knew that yeah. we'd have to put more music together. Um, we wanted to make this a real thing in a business. Um, but put out the second song in January, which was Sheep. Um, which was also, you know, to this day, like one of the bigger songs they put out. Yeah. And that kind of took off right away. Um, and from there, it's been like, it's been, you know, a little under four years, but a whirlwind of touring for them, uh, recording that first album and then the second, and just turning like that pretty much a couple songs um, that Matt and Sam had into um, what Jack Mountjoy is today and um, the business that they are as well. So. That's insane. And I also didn't realize that you were such a day one with that band. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Matt and I actually met in 2011 when I was living in New York, um, working that first agency job. We got put on like a blind friend date with two of our our friends from high school. We're like, you both have no friends in Brooklyn. You should be friends. And so (laughs) um, it's crazy how, how little things like that happen and what they end up with potentially leading to. I get sometimes like almost too in my head about things like that. But that's why I think it's so important to always treat people like people and just be an all around decent person because like you never would have thought on that first hang that that would end up being your career. And like you just don't know those things. But here's proof that being a good person and just getting along can go so far. I love that. Definitely. Uh, So God, that's... It's just blowing my mind that it was, I don't know, like, I guess I wasn't like deeply, deeply familiar with Mount Joy, but I just thought that they had been around like even longer than that. And it's, I don't know. I didn't realize that the story went that fast because they're only just now, like, we'll talk about it because it's a big piece of talking about 2020 Mm -hmm. and music business, but they just this year put out their second LP, right? Yeah. They pretty much put that out exactly two years after their first one. So they put that second song out and then a third song on our own. And then they signed to Dual Tone Records, which was labeled out of Nashville, um, yep. who do the Lumineers, Shaky Graves. Yeah, they uh, like hold that genre down, right? Yeah, they do real well in like that indie folk space. Um, yeah. 
and the Lumineers were like their breakout band um, that we were actually on tour on on tour with when the pandemic started. Oh, which is pretty crazy. crazy. Yeah, but um, so we signed to them that summer of 2017, put out our first single that fall, and then the album in the fall in the spring of 2018. Um, That's nuts. So, okay, questions here, because this is like a very cool formative way. And this will lead us into the discussion of like 2020, all that. You clearly had plenty experience in music by the time that you were working with them. But Mm -hmm. did you have a moment, like you said, you moved back from LA LA back to Austin, going to C3. Did you have a moment that was like a, oh, this is about to get real? Like, did you have a moment specifically with Mount Joy where it went from being like, this is a cool project to yeah. like, this is about to be life and this is about to be my artist where we're going to go do some crazy shit? There's different, I think there's different moments along the way if you have success that you're like, whoa, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and those like looking back now, some of those are so small in the big picture, but they're, they were just like turning points. Um, they mean everything to you. Yeah. I think the first one was, um, Spotify. That was crazy. We were like on the viral charts. Um, and we were getting emails from, you know, A&Rs every day from different labels. Um, one of the A&Rs that reached out, Matt Quinn was actually an intern for, uh, back in the day. And he didn't even like the guy hadn't connected the dots that that was the case. That was pretty funny. Um, but we had just, we were getting a bunch of emails. That was kind of this crazy thing where like, um, there's people actually entered like, you know, big picture folks interested in this project. But I think the first one was when on tour, we did like a five or six date run with the head and the heart on the East coast. And it was our fourth, the, the first run of that tour was like our fourth show ever. Um, we assembled band members on like the night of the election in 2016 is when we like got our drummer and our bass player to join the band and did our first practice. And so these shows were in, I believe late February of that next year. So we just became a band and we were playing in front of like 3000 cap venues, um, 2000, 3000 cap venues on this run. Which is so unreal. Like that yeah. does not happen for bands to just go from like, Oh cool. We have a couple songs popping off. Here's yeah. two to 3000 cap rooms. First. So that was like a, that was the Let's thing. Where they were also on C3. Um, and so just we got thrown into it. So we went from playing like a sold out, um, you know, Mercury room, Mercury mm-hmm. Lounge in uh, New York, which yeah. is like a 250 cap to playing these big rooms. And uh, Matt, the lead singer, like lost his voice before the first show because we had done like a crazy like run of shows like, LA, New York, Philly, and then this this first big show. And he got over it and like luck, like thank God got his his voice right. But it was just this scary moment where we're like, okay, this is like happening now and we have to like really get our shit together from like in every way with it, like turning yeah. this into a business. Yeah, dude. That's that's so cool. All of that. And okay, perfect transition. How is Mount Joy just the band that makes things happen against all odds? Like literally like about to like be in school and college, you're about to bail from music and then having success, having that crazy moment, continuing to grow. And then this year, I I swear, like you're one of the only managers I've talked to that has stayed so proactive and stayed on the grind in such a cool way where it doesn't feel like you're just being like, oh, well, it's a bad year. We'll see what we can do. Like, yeah. against all odds, you have made the coolest shit happen. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk about in this. Because, like, I mean, it's a podcast in itself to talk about Mount Joy and everything. But I think we painted a clear enough picture. The band put out great music. It got noticed at the right time. And it grew to be yeah. very, very real. Mm-hmm. But now you're faced with this other challenge where you're coming into LP2. You have you were on tour with the Lumineers when mm-hmm. like really touring ended, right? Yeah. And yeah, so you, you had everything geared up to go. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here's every unexpected circumstance in the world. Figure it out. But mm-hmm. here you are doing exactly that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is really credit to the band. And like, you know, we were really close um, and we... 
make, we have lots of conversations, try to make decisions together quickly um, and, and come up with like the right solution to these problems that we're having. Um, yeah. Another one of these turning points was like getting on the Lumineers tour was crazy. Um, okay. We thought we might have a shot just because of like being in the same world as them and having some different connections to their team and stuff like that. Um, and they ended up liking the music and we locked in, I think it was 28 dates with them. Um, and they're like, their shows are like, you know, like 15,000 cap arenas are playing like um, Barclays in New York and pretty much professional basketball and, and hockey stadiums. And that was a whole nother thing where like our crew is one bus um, of 10 people. And before this year, we would like, even in, before 2019, that would have been crazy to even have like our own crew more than just like um, a front of house sound guy. And so we have, yeah. we have like, you know, a crew for the first time and we're going out on tour with a band that's crew is, uh, you know, many buses, semis, um, yeah. I think around 70 people. Um, do you, I didn't so, ask this. You, do you tour with the band when the band's out? Sometimes. Um, okay. not, not definitely not like full runs. Um, Got it. So you'll I'll, come out, I'll make sure shows in. look good, make sure everything's running smooth. Mm-hmm. There's certain like cool. markets. I think it's important for me to be at, um, yeah. to like meet with partners, um, or, you know, radio folks in the area or anyone we might, you know, need to link up with. But um, generally, I'm not on the road for, for that uh, many days on a run like this. But it was just like a crazy turning point. We're like, okay, we're going to play arenas. Um, how do we make ourselves look good in this space, sound big, um, not step on toes, um, be like a pleasure to work with? Um, and so that was a whole thing into itself. And then we started the tour end of January, and it was supposed to go to like March 14th or 15th. And in March, it starts like, you know, the coronavirus starts to become like more of a thing that's being talked about. And to be completely honest, I didn't know, we didn't know as a whole that it was like going to be anything near what it is now, but there that it would even really affect the tour or any of our upcoming shows. Um, until maybe the last couple shows where people started to talk about it more. And then we were playing a show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the, where the Bucks play. And before the show, Sam, the guitar player was like, I think they're going to like cancel the tour after the show. And we only had one more show. Luckily we we got so lucky that we got in most of those tour dates. Yeah, um, that's insane. Yeah. It's crazy to get those all in the, fir- the first little bit of this year. But Mount Joy, uh, the band that has the best look mixed with the worst look. All at <laughs> we would, yeah, we would, it depends on the day, but um, that was lucky. He was right. At the end of that show, they had canceled like an NBA game midway through the game. And um, we were told that they would be canceling the next show. So we were getting them, we were turning the bus around instead of going to Minneapolis, going to Chicago to fly them home and sending the bus back to Nashville. And then we were just like, you know, just kind of hit us like a ton of bricks because this is like mid-March. Um, we have a bunch of festivals coming up in April, May, June, and then our album release, uh, which was June. 5th. So you, your year was dialed. Like this was yeah. gearing up to be the big year. Yeah, it was exciting. Like it was like, you know, you can see a band touring and selling out shows in like 600 cap rooms but the money is still super tight with all the expenses. And so this was kind of the first year where we're going to be playing like 1,500 to 3,000 cap venues headlining in this fall, where we were going to like, people, band members were going to make money for the first time. And so we were just, not just about the money, excited to play these rooms like across the country that are some of the most famous spots. And we were putting out an album that we wanted to help push. Like when we play shows, it really, you can see online how things move from like with streaming and um, on socials and everything else. So um, playing those shows is going to be a big part to support the album too. So I think for about two months, we felt pretty helpless, but we had to get creative around the album release to promote it, to do radio sessions by like all of them in different areas with the keyboard player being in Portland to the guys being in Long Beach to the guys in Philly. We had to like piece together these sessions. We had to do different remote content and, you know, the lead singer was doing tons of drops for radio and stuff like that. Just all of this, like, remotely, where we had to just do anything we could to promote the album. Um, yeah. And, 
yeah, it ended up going pretty well, all things considered. Um, and it's still like, you know, we're still pushing it. It's, it came out not that long ago, but it was, uh, it was a crazy time to like, say like, look at me, look over here, because it was also during like, um, you know, big social like upheaval in our country. Um, yeah. So. My next question is, as this all happens, as the manager, where, where is it in your head where you're like, all right, it's time to get real proactive? Like, where did you have that moment of like, I'm about to have to change gears and figure out a whole rollout in a whole different way? Like, yeah. when did that get real? And like, what was your first proactive move in that? Well, right away, we realized we wouldn't be able to do like these different promo type runs we had thought of. We were going to do like a cool album release show in New York for like press and partners and stuff. All of those, that rug got pulled out from under us. So it was me like reaching out and talking to our label dual tone and members of our radio team and saying like, we'll do anything. Like if you need us to do anything, we'll do it. Like making ourselves okay. available. So you were um, almost there first. Like you hit up your people first and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. it's about to get weird, whatever. Whatever ideas you have, we'll do it. And they're proactive too. But like, I think I saw like one person do a late night show where they piece people together on different like Zoom screens and play the song and it sounded good because it was mixed and timed properly to a click, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, all right, we need to do that for like everything. Um, wow, cool. They were in different places. And so we just, and we had a song, the song Strangers was, doing well at radio. So we were trying to get all these different sessions across the country to radio stations where usually we'd be going there in person. Um, yeah. So doing that, doing other pieces of like content, um, the lead singer was super busy doing drops, content and interviews. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people bundle tickets with their physical or digital albums for, to sell them yeah. to like, kind of have a big first week. And we didn't really want to do that because we didn't want to make our ticket price crazy. We want, we were more worried about having fans there than we were about this big first week number. Um, we mm-hmm. were worried that that could like rub people the wrong way potentially. But what we yeah. did do is we made these bundles where people would get our vinyl and we would do like Zoom shows with you or meet and greets or um, all sorts of different digital things for fans. We did like these quarantine sessions, which were different live recordings of some of the songs from the album that we would send you the MP3s for a few bucks on top of the album price. Um, yeah. The Zoom shows, you know, were for like 25 people. So you could get all your friends to throw in like 10, 15 bucks each to get towards like the asking price we were trying to get for those. And those were, oh, those were like, acceptable. like at a certain point, we're like, we can't do these anymore. Cause like, Oh my God. Whoa. So instead yeah. of like doing like Instagram live or like something like that, you would do like you would cap a Zoom, and yeah. then it would be a real unique show where it wasn't just a pre-recorded thing. Like every Zoom show yeah. was its own. Yeah, we would do and like five songs. We would do like two songs while he tunes the guitars. He'd answer some questions from the people in the chat that were like, you know, could be anything. They were just like kind of intimate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we'll look back and be like the best deal ever for fans Dude, that want to. That's like the ultimate VIP day. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were doing like four of those in a night sometimes. So it became too much, but Mm -hmm. at first it was a great idea. Um, but, uh, also we did do an Instagram live stream that we're like, we did it, I think in May. Um, Mm -hmm. that time period is like all smashed together. So I can't really remember, but for the Instagram live, like we saw a lot of people doing Instagram live fundraisers and we're like, we thought it would be cool to kind of do a variety of show of sorts with our friends that we thought people might find interesting. So we pulled friends from like the music world and sports world and just like personalities in general. So like we had um, their, their friend, Nolan Patrick, who plays for the Flyers, came on the Instagram live. Um, Connor Barwin, who used to play for the Eagles. They're, they're from Philly. So Connor cool. Barwin used to play for the Eagles and now has like a charity organization, now works for the Eagles. He came on and talked for a bit. Um, we had uh, Kevin O'Connor, who writes for The Ringer. Um, oh wow! Talk, Y'all are tied into the sports world. Damn, Matt and Sam are big sports fans. Um, I am as well. So that's something that's cool. that like we've kind of wanted. We'd love to do more stuff in that realm. But and then we had a bunch of bands kind of in their space, like West from the Lumineers, Camp, Houndmouth, uh, one of the guys from Rainbow Kitten Surprise, um, um, 
the girl from the greeting committee and Adam Melcher, who I also manage, and a few other folks come on um, the live stream. And we just raise money via Venmo the whole time. I'm um, just telling wow. people to like throw us the money. And it was for uh, Phil Abundance, which is the Philly Food Bank. And um, another charity that I'm forgetting, but they raised $30,000 over the course of a few hours. And it was like, the engagement was crazy. Cause it was kind of like these people were coming in and out as guests on the show and we had kind of promoted when they'd be on. So their fans would maybe stick around and it was just a really fun night. I think we're going to do it again sometime soon for, for a, a different cause. But um, just another thing we kind of did that was like, it was a good idea, but we didn't know how good of an idea it was. Yeah. Um, we also didn't know the execution, like, is this person going to say yes to coming on our live stream? What are the politics with that? How do we yeah. talk to their team about it? And it ended up going really smoothly and there, there was no politics. Um, but yeah, that was a, another thing that we kind of thought of and it became a bigger thing than the idea we initially had. Um, well, you but know what I like, like there? COVID things. Yeah. I really just like, there. it feels like there is a general vibe to everything you guys have done this year where it's like, it's not, how can we make money first? It's how do we get through this together? How do we still bring something to our fans? How do we still help our community? How do we make the best out of the worst? So Mm -hmm. all these things you've done, none of it is ideal, but it was like proactive in the best way. Not only were you fast and proactive in saying we're willing to do whatever radio shows want or whatever people are asking of us, you were also just like, having fun with it and just not overthinking it. You were just like, cool, like, let's send it. Let's go. Let's try it. And that to me just feels so right in this. So to hear you explain it further and to hear like the success behind it, I'm like, that's what's, that's it. That's what I love. So, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing, like when they were not doing well, like to give up all their money, like they, they donated so much money this year when like, it's been a tough year for us too, but it's been much tougher year for other people. And they've recognized that. Um, so just like the credit to them and all of our fans too, for being so supportive, um, of the different causes that have been important to us. Dude, exactly though. That's like that adding not even value, like taking care of people first, like just putting other people first and like helping goes so far. And that's so cool that that's been the mantra throughout this year. Because the other thing, the other crazy, absolutely unpredictable thing that was super unfortunate for you, but in the scale of things, not comparable is the timing of the death of George Floyd and your album coming out. Like not only was Corona going on and you had to like figure that out, then Mm -hmm. something even crazier happens and totally different, like right at the drop of such an important album for you. So you basically then have to be like, okay, don't pay attention to our album. Go out and like support your communities and do what's right and pay attention to bigger things. So yet again, you and the band are faced with this thing of like, how do we pivot? How do we do this? Mm. So what did you do? I mean, that was like the, honestly, it was like the easiest decision for us just because like it was it was so obvious that we shouldn't be putting the attention on ourselves at that time when we put out the album on June 5th, which is like yeah. the second weeks of, the second week of like um, when the pro- the protests like really started like ramping up. and Yeah, it um, almost took like the internet like a week to be like, wait a minute, this is fucked. Yeah, people were and just then, like still finding out details and then finding out more unfortunate details and um, other you know, other individuals that were dealing with the same thing or had the yeah. same thing happen to me. So, and, and like, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it had to happen. That had to happen for people to like, and us as like a country as a whole in the world to like really wake up. Um, yeah. but Agreed. yeah, um, that was a crazy time for us. Cause it's like, it, it's, it's, you never want to be like planning, having to plan business around things that are bigger than that. Um, but we did have to, because, you know, um, we still had to figure out this thing that was slotted to release. Um, but that week we tried to like Monday, Monday of that release week. So it was like the first of June or whatever. We, we figured we were like, okay, this is like, there's no, we should, we should put out that no way we should put out this album. Um, so we reached out to our label and we're like, Hey, like we can't do this. Like 
this doesn't feel right. Um, there's, we don't want to be marketing this and we want to be, we want the attention to remain where, it, where it is currently online. Um, and in, in, in the real world as well. And the label is like, you'll be able to move half the things off of the release schedule, but the other half are just going to come out. And so we're like, okay, like what are other things we could do? Um, you know, we felt like we were in a pretty shitty position, but um, we just decided that like, we'd make a statement um, saying we're, you know, we think the attention should remain where it is currently and that we're going to try to like, hopefully all of you can help us help this cause by donating some money or any, any of the sales from that first week, once it was out, um, yeah. would go to, um, you know, a cause to, to help, um, the fight that was, that was going on. Um, yeah. so I think we, you know, again, credit to everyone being able to move quickly and make that happen. I'm glad we were able to like find a solution. Um, but yeah. it was still, um, you know, not one you want to have to make and, Hopefully that hopefully we don't forget about this year and what happened. Um, and now that, you know, things have changed politically, hopefully we just like that stays fresh in our mind. And we continue to try and like work towards improving uh, our country and world because I, that could feels like times like that when everything like really ramps up, yeah. uh, people are really paying attention and pushing for change. But then with our news cycle, it can kind of come and go. So hopefully people continue to like remember that moment. No, I completely agree. And I think all of us in entertainment felt that where it was like, we're all very passionate about the things we're doing, the artists we're working with, the projects that are going on. But it's kind of like this very humbling moment to like get out of your own bubble and be like, oh shit, the world is bigger than me and my band and my project. And I need to like make sure that people are treated like people and the world can still exist here. So there's anyone to entertain. So I completely agree. And again, it was just another example of your team and your camp and your band doing the right thing in a completely unexpected, like you can't predict that ever. You can't predict anything in 2020, but you guys have so quickly adapted and done the right things. And the other thought that I have like in that is even as you're explaining it to me on this podcast, you, you have such a cool, calm demeanor about it. But it's really easy to have that when you're looking back in hindsight. Yeah. But like, what was going on in your head? Like how that had to have been so stressful. Like how did you get through that yeah. of being like, cool, like my, this this massive band, that huge piece of your roster, your career, touring the biggest year is falling apart. You're having to pivot an album around. Like obviously again too, you're like, all right, well, how are we going to come back to this album? Like, what did you do to stay sane during that time? How did you do that? Yeah, like I think uh, just a lot of conversations. Like as a as a band and as a team, we just talk everything through mm-hmm. and try to come to like the right conclusion. But we really do like probably over communicate about these things. Um, yeah. And then um, myself and the band, I think we just have like a network of people we can go to to bounce ideas off of that we really trust. Yeah. Um, and during those few different times, we just kind of went to our network of folks to ask advice or, you know, bounce things off of them. And I think just having that, like having some people that have experienced, have experienced in this industry, but just in life in general, to be able to go to, to bounce things off of is so important. Um, there was a lot of that going on at that time and throughout the rest of this year too. So. So basically surround yourself with good people because it pays off yeah. in dividends when you don't expect Definitely. it. Definitely. I love that. So then the next chapter that I'm interested in is as we've kind of just grown to adapt to the world that is dealing with coronavirus now, bands have gotten continuously gotten creative. And I feel like now, like what are we like, however many months in is like call it seven months in six months in depending now bands are like, check us out streaming online. And you're like, very cool. You are very late to the party. Um, but you guys have continued to stay ahead and you are one of the bands that have very successfully done drive-in shows. Mm-hmm. You've also, well, no, I don't need to, you've successfully done drive-in shows. Tell me about drive-in shows. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm gonna, I might say his name wrong, but Mark Rebelay, 
Um, he started, he really like popped off on Instagram going live during uh, COVID. And he does like loops and stuff and sings live, um, you know, plays keys and a bunch of other different stuff. But he, I saw him announce a driving tour in the spring for the summer, I think. And I was like, first of all, there was, there's been like levels to how serious it is to not leave your home throughout the past like seven months. He announced, I don't think I was really leaving my home at all. So I was like, is that responsible? And I think we found out more about um, this virus and the way to take care of yourself and others as time has gone by. Um, but at the time, I was like, is that, is that like the move to do that? Is the production going to be corny? And will people come? Um, and so I was like, we're not going to do that. I was like, we have like a little bit of money. I think we can like hold, you know, hold out and wait for when this is coming back. And yeah. then like, you know, in March, they were telling us like in the summer, it's going to get hot and this is going to go away. Um, turns out that was not the case. And I think like around middle of the summer, we're like, oh, this is, and the industry is like, I think we made it worse on ourselves by just like our constant gossip of when this is going to be over. When in reality, right. no one in the music industry is a doctor. Um, yes. So <laughs> everyone just shut up and wait for real that news. Might be, uh, that might be your episode sound clip. In reality, <laughs> no one in the industry is a doctor. So maybe we just yeah. shut up and wait. <laughs> yeah. So I was getting pretty frustrated because people were saying, now move your tours to... Um, next fall, which is what everyone's done at this point. But at the time I was like, why? No one knows anything. Why are we doing this? Um, and you have to move your tour because if you don't, the holds will be gone. And that at those venues you want to play on the days you want to play it in the future. So everyone had to do that, but I'm seeing like, okay, I'm seeing these driving shows start to happen. A couple other people were doing them. And then I saw one in Philadelphia at the Phillies, uh, ballpark that was getting put on by the live nation team in philly the band being from philly i knew them pretty well um and this one guy we're pretty close with joseph free um he i don't know if i saw him post that or something but i hit him up and i was like what's the deal with this driving thing in philly i was like let us get an offer <laughs> i think i was just like love that again you like, oh. just being proactive you just paying attention like, being like He's the guy. He definitely looks out for us in Philly. The band's like a big Philly band. Like I said, even in that live stream earlier, they did like, you know, they had a a Flyers player on, Eagles, like they're big Philly guys. Um, And he's like, I'll have you an offer tomorrow. And I was like, awesome. Um, So I hit up our agent. I was like, we're an offer is coming from Live Nation for this Philly show. It's at the Phillies ballpark. And we both knew the team well. We're like, we knew they had too much to lose that they wasn't going to be unsafe. Like Live Nation. Yes a pro team that hadn't worked in months that were from the best venues in Philly. And so we felt good about it. Um, and I was like, while we're up there, are there any other ones that we could play? I see some other bands playing these things. And she's like, um, our agent, Allie Hedrick, um, is like, I think we have like another offer at this place in Cape Cod. It's a low offer, but if it goes well, you guys will make money in the back end. I pitched to the band. I was like, look, I have no idea. Like we have to assume it's going to not go well. And then hope for the best, you know, promote it, see how it does. Um, they're like, okay, let's do it. So I was like, awesome. We're doing two shows. I went up there for it. We all flew, like the guys coming from Long Beach and uh, the girl Jackie from Portland and myself coming from Austin. We all went like masks, shields, um, you know, HVAC suits. Like, yeah, full and, biohazard. Uh, yeah, got there early, quarantine, and played this show. And it was awesome. They did like 640 cars. Production was like a festival stage with good sound, great team. Um, And we were just so happy. Like, um, you know, it was end of August. So we hadn't played since March. And we hadn't really seen each other um, since uh, June. We had got together to do some live stream type stuff around the album release in, in LA. So we hadn't seen each other in a couple months. And the production was just so great. They beat their merch record. Um, with delivery how do to the you car. Sell mer- yeah, I was going to say, how's that work? So like the people that are doing it right with these things, they literally have like, an app where you can order mm-hmm. food, drink, and merch to your car. And they come in like a golf cart or a bicycle or whatever and like drop it off. Um, and you can do it all in app, pay for it in app. So it's like 
you know, paperless. Damn. Cardboard. It's like yeah. the same as getting like Uber Eats delivered or whatever. Exactly. Exact same. Um, so it was like that and like merch crush, like this is crazy. Um, and then two nights later we played the show in Cape Cod. We had a COVID test the day in between, which was like at the time in August, you could not find a COVID test. And we're like, are we not oh, going to play yeah. the show? You know, like all rapid tests test. too. Yeah. It had to be 48 hours young. <laughs> um, yeah. So we found one in Connecticut and luckily when played the show, that sold out at like 400 cars. Ended up making good money because it like did well in the back end. And that yeah. show was awesome too. And we're like, okay, these are awesome. Um, the production is better than we thought it would be. Uh, fans are so happy. Um, and it's going to help us a lot for, for a year where they hadn't, hadn't made money in a long time. And yeah. so I called up their agent, Allie, and I was like, let's see as many of these good ones that we can find because there's all sorts of ones going on in the country right now. But like, let's find the best ones we can do. Yeah, because that's kind of the theme of you and the band, right? Is like you're down to be proactive and do stuff, but you're not trying to get sketchy and you're not trying to like yeah. be the band that puts a risk out there, or like does it wrong and like you're the yeah. responsible one. Like you're trying to work with professional people who are staying safe and like doing it right. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm glad we like broke the seal with that Philly show where I really trusted the team and like knew them as individuals. Yeah. Because that made it that made otherwise we didn't want to do this. We didn't want to be like the band, you know, out playing shows when it didn't seem responsible. But that important time when we like deemed that it would be safe for everyone, um, mm-hmm. you know, it made sense because of the people involved. Um, and I think that'll like continue to be the case as these things pop up. Dude, you said something in that so casually where I was like, oh my God, did I just hear the new normal industry speak where you're like, yeah, we did 400 cars. And oh, yeah, I was yeah. like, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They draw like 3000 kids. Like all of a sudden, yeah. oh yeah. How many cars do you draw? Like that just yeah. fucked me up. Super weird. Um, God. But the cars can be from two. I mean, I haven't seen one, one person in them yet, but like two to six people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool. It's like, the cars are spaced out openings on each side of you and back of you and in front of you. Um, so every car has like a little space to the side of them or in front of them to put their little chairs down or be in the bed of a truck or put the trunk up on like an SUV or something. People mm-hmm. are bringing like, you know, the, their little food or drink or whatever. And they're with yeah. like their friends. They want to go to concerts too with anyways and not yeah. bump into people and, you know, not have to pay for parking, although that's what they're doing. Um, so there's just like, it's pretty comfortable and I've, people seem to be having a really great time, uh, with the experience and it being a different one. Dude, that's so cool. Like, I just, I think that that's the real message that I'm so inspired by in this is like being proactive, not reactive. Like you're not Mm -hmm. just sitting here being like doom and gloom. You're just like, okay, like times are changing. And it was doom and gloom though. (laughs) Yeah. Like for sure. Um, (laughs) I think all of our plans looked like they would never happen again. And, you know, like at a certain point we had to like snap out of it, um, yeah. which is not fair to say for some people, because people have like lost family members and stuff this year. But for us and our business, like we just had to like get creative and try to keep things moving so that when we do, because we will get through this, like we want to come out on the other side, like, you know, with, with some things going on. Yeah. And I also think there's another side of it where it kind of sucks for all of us. Like I, at this point, I so, so dearly miss just going to a show and seeing my friends and seeing a band that I love. So like, again, of course you want to be responsible, but there is an element too of like the people that feel safe doing it and are smart about it. Like how good it must feel to just see live music. Like, damn, that's sick. We, um, there's the venue in Austin that I'm sure you've been on tour. This venue called Stubbs. It's a big open air. Oh, yeah. Outdoor. The spot. 2,400 cap room that C3 does. And last night, tonight, and tomorrow, they have Dave Chappelle. Um, oh, no shit. It's all tables, which is going to be a lot of stuff, I think, next year. Like, you know, you have to stage your table. People come to you. Um, you have to wear your mask. You have like so it's almost like in outdoor anywhere. dining kind of vibe, but a mm-hmm. show. Okay, mm-hmm. 
And, but for these, which is really exciting for me and, and the company I work at C3 that owns Stubbs and does the shows there is going to continue to be on the cutting edge of these things is like, they're doing rapid testing at the door. Um, no way. So I know people have been taking temperature at the door at these things, but like, let's be real taking temperature at the door anywhere is like, what is that? Doesn't mean you don't have COVID. Right. So, yeah, right. It's, it's like a nice, it's like a good thing to do to like, be if a, you like, have a fever, that's great. Like you're certainly right. going to not go yeah. in, but exactly. that's not saying I don't have not COVID. a bulletproof thing. And neither is rapid testing per se. You know, we don't, we don't know, I guess. I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor, but they're doing rapid testing at these shows, which is super promising. Um, not sure what it costs or the viability for like smaller rooms. Um, yeah. cause it's a big outdoor space, but that's, I mean, it's November right now. That makes me feel a lot better about later into next year. Yeah. That's, that's so crazy because it's, I mean, we don't fucking know. Like we can sit here and speculate all we want, right? Cases are going up right yeah. now, but there's talks of a vaccine. Like we truly don't know. And like us sitting here going back and forth saying, I think this month, I think that month, I think it's safe if there's COVID tests. I think it's safe if yeah. it's cars. Like that is, it doesn't matter. Everyone's going to have their own opinions. Everyone's going to like, yeah. we just don't know. So that's what, that's not what this is about to me. What this is about is just artist manager who is proactive, taking care of his band and doing things the right way in completely, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it unprecedented times. Yeah. That's what, that's yeah, the discussion. And that's cool to hear. Like, it just feels like you're on the cutting edge. It feels like any application of a, how can we do this the right way? You're at least entertaining and studying it and figuring out what you can do. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, they literally just had ultra in Taiwan last week, with like oh, more than yeah. 7,000 people at it. When I saw the yeah. picture of the DJ, standing on the turntables. I thought it was like a throwback Thursday post or something. And I was like, holy shit, they have no cases in Taiwan. And I was talking oh, to my man. friend, uh, Kevin Nish, who's in Korea right now. And he was talking about, it. he's like, you can't get into the country. He's like, if you get in, you have to quarantine for two weeks where they like, they, you go in a hotel room and like you lock down and they bring yeah. your food to your door and yeah. they leave the food at the door. Like, Unfortunately for us, I think we're like way far gone past that type of thing. Dude, but it's it's so tricky because the states like it's like there's so much freedom and this and that and this. Yeah. So it's like you have people like playing pretend. Like, and I'm not even yeah. I'm not here to say what's wrong and right and whatever. Me neither. But, but clearly they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, like with the now. way where it's like yeah, like certain it's just so state by state here that there's yeah. not just like a that. Whereas some of these other countries were just like, this is what the fuck it is. If you don't mm -hmm. like it, sorry. And that's that. But what else? Because outside of drive-in shows, you also got real crafty with merch. But is there mm -hmm. anything to say in that that hasn't been said before? Like, was there anything super unique that you did? Like, because I know you were, you were setting up a lot of stuff for Black Friday, but that's pretty much standard e-com for people, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it's like, you were saying like how this could maybe be beneficial for like up and coming bands and stuff like that, or how are you, how are you trying to like make it during the pandemic um, and find revenue streams for people that don't have touring revenue. And I think, yeah, I think one important thing to do and what fans also need to understand and be a little patient with is like pre-orders. Mm. Um, I think bands need to find a good merch company that can do pretty quick pre-orders. Um, I would say not print on demand because you want to guarantee your quality a little bit better than that, which is sometimes hit or miss with that. Um, yeah. Not to speak for all of them, but from my experience. Um, totally. So I would look at doing pre-orders and getting your fans like to really give you an idea of if they're interested and what size they are. So you don't order too much stuff because you don't have money right now. So hopefully you can order kind of spot on as to what the fans want and you're going to make some money and profit, not sit on a ton of merch because you're not touring. And for yeah. fans, I would say just be a little bit patient because um, COVID's really affected um, shipping type stuff. Blanks. Blanks are hard to find everywhere. Um, and so just like your favorite band that's trying to get you a merch item that you like, like maybe give it like a couple extra weeks um, because they're just trying to like, if they're doing pre-orders, they're trying to order that exact amount for them to make some profit and for you to get a cool merch item. 
So that's one yeah, thing wow. that I think that's like a big takeaway. And then another thing we did with with Mount Joy is just like merch contests where like fans design the merch, um, which has been a cool way to like get our creative fans involved in like helping like choose the direction of the band, like how we look and mm-hmm. our merchandise. And fans have been really into that. Um, we got a ton of creative fans have just given us awesome stuff. Um, and the other fans that have been really supportive and purchased that stuff. So it's been pretty cool. You know, I feel like there's an underlying theme of everything you're saying in this podcast is like community. Like you've done a really good job having real community with Mount Joy. Like you guys have been there for your fans as much as you can. You're like, obviously we wanted to be in front of you in person at a real show. We can't. Here's a Zoom show. Here's a drive-in show. Here's something else we can do. Merchandise. Like you're not just trying to be like, hey, we're broke. Can you buy this? Like you're being like, hey, why don't you guys design some stuff? We'll do a contest like that. Um, Not like and share to win merch, but do a contest where people can design stuff. Oh, we want you to like and share too. Yeah, please like and share. (laughs) Like and share. Share with five friends for one extra chance to win. Um, but like, I really, I feel that community in what you're doing. And I think that that's, I just think that's really cool. I feel like that's what's, it just feels like the right thing to do right now. Like there is this sense of community with entertainment amongst the artists, amongst the managers, amongst the fans, where it's like, Hey, we all miss this, but we're all figuring it out. And it's nice that you give a shit. It's nice that on that side to hear all of these things, it's like, Oh, cool. At least like as they go into every challenge, it's coming from the spot of how can we do this the best and how can we do this where everyone wins? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this is like, you know, it's been crazy, a crazy year and this business was in no way prepared for it. Um, all of our businesses, you know, especially music that we, are we, our backbone is like playing shows and being in front of people and hopefully large amounts of people is the goal of touring and the, you know, that can't happen. So I think it's made us all better and, you know, at, at crazy. I mean, that's like not fair to say though, because some people have like lost everything, um, their business or their jobs. So it's not made us all better, but like, I think as a business, we have had to get more creative in order to keep it going. So yeah. actually, it's just been a natural thing for us because like my job is to continue to grow these projects I'm working on, but also just like make it so these people have livelihoods and can, you know, afford to be musicians, which can, you know, it's obviously can be very difficult. Tell me if you feel differently, but it's almost like this really checks our privilege. Like you can't just be in something oh, yeah. and not bring value or, like, you know, there's so much that's changed and there's so many people that aren't able to do it or whatever. It's like, if you, yeah. if you really want to do this right now, you got to get real scrappy and you got to figure so many things out. So not to say it can't be done and not to be insensitive to people that have circumstance that's different, but it wasn't, it's not an accident that you're on this podcast right now talking about what you're talking about. It was lots and lots of hours of you really analyzing what was going on and getting scrappy. I think it's too like we're, we were spoiled before this, right? In every way. I think so. We would go out and do whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and now can't do much at all. We definitely can't go to shows. I think we took shows for granted. I know I took shows for granted. I went to a couple of shows a week here in Austin where I'd kind of be like there to be there, maybe not Mm -hmm. even paying enough attention. I think we Uh, took entertainment for granted, right? Like we're seeing now the world where essential thing, like it's been a challenge to keep essentials in. So then entertainment is on the back burner and any form of it, you're like, oh. And I hope the new government that's came into power will give back to the arts now because like we're losing all these small venues that yeah. are the backbone. I keep saying, I said backbone like four times, but that are like the foundation. I said unprecedented for, times. <laughs> the you get a pass. Like these bands to get off the ground. Like you need to play this 200 cap. Like you need to play the bootleg and then the troubadour and then the there's steps. And for these smaller mm-hmm. venues that, you know, are more month to month with their with their finances because they're not owned, they don't have a bunch of financial backing. It's really tough. So there needs to be some sort of government bailout soon. We yeah. should hopefully be uh, like a beacon of 
culture and awesome music and the arts. And we need to support that. Um, so I think, you know, people should support NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, um, who's trying to fight politically to get some money for these venues and for the arts. Um, and that's just so important right now. And I think when, when, when shows are back, like, I'm, I have no doubt that people are going to go to shows like crazy. Um, yeah. But go out to shows, support bands, buy their merch, buy their merch now online. If you could buy bands merch, if you have a little bit of extra money, I know that's um, a lot of people aren't lucky enough to have that right now. But if, if you do have some extra money, buy your favorite bands merch, buy a vinyl, um, do share their stuff on socials, um, follow them on Spotify, press that like heart button on Spotify next to the song you like, because all these things help up and coming bands and established bands grow or, or stay at the level they're at and like make a living. Um, and it's going to, the more we can all do that now will mean that more is going to be still be around, um, when, when shows come back and hopefully some of these bands that are like brand new bands aren't discouraged by the fact that there's no shows right now. Like take this time to like make the best music you can get, get cool merch ideas together, get a website, um, put some music online. And so that when shows are back, you're like, you're ready to roll and hope you have like a fan base, like online is not you know, gone away. So there's still ways to grow right now. Um, so hopefully people can be supporting the arts as much as possible. And, you know, young musicians are just going to keep hopefully making great art during this time. Um, so that when it comes back, hopefully in the summer or fall, it's going to be super epic. That was so beautifully said, man. Like that really is it. I think that demand, like all of us still miss it and want it and are consuming online, but I really do. I mean, really, that's why I wanted to have this podcast is like to encourage anybody listening, anybody that we can get to, to like keep going and keep creating because it will get better. I feel very strongly about that. I think it's going to be like, I think next year is going to be awesome. Um, I hope I'm right. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully uh, the powers that be help that happen, help make that happen. Hopefully... The doctors are working hard. Um, the real doctors. Yes, us music industry us, speculating doctors. Yeah, the rest of us should try to listen to them. Um, yeah, good luck. Hopefully we can get out of timeout and go play again soon. No, dude, I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, who knows? Like, it could be cool even to check back in with you with a different podcast after a couple more months or however much time because we, we don't know. But... The yeah. one thing that I do know is like you're gonna stay proactive and you're gonna stay grinding and you're gonna stay figuring it out. And that's an example that I really like to hear from because it can certainly get all doom and gloom and discouraging. And uh, I don't think anybody wins when you just get fully stuck in that, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah, I mean, this year has been easy for that to happen. It's happened to me multiple times. Um, and I'm sure lots of people in our industry and others, but um, you know. Like I said, I hope good times are coming. Yeah. And in the meantime, just let's keep making art. You know what? Let me let me end this off with one question because I think that's yeah. all too real. And here you are, like for the most part, staying pretty posy, but it would be a lie to say that there was no doom and gloom. So if there is one thing that you've learned through this or in those spots of real doom and gloom, what have you done to get through it? Um, I think during like the worst times I was taking long walks, yeah. um, long walks and lots of phone calls with friends, kind of like commiserating, I think, mm -hmm. um, but trying not to like be too negative while commiserating with each other as it's been easy to do so in like the music business. Um, but yeah, just trying to like get outside, and, uh, try to clear the mind a bit. Um, and then just to try to get back to work in some way to create, create something positive for like for all my clients so that we can, you know, keep this, keep this moving when it's over. Um, just trying to like, just see that light at the end of the tunnel. Cause, um, or else it can be like, you know, as this continues to prolong, it's going to be super depressing. So I think getting outside and walking has been, um, definitely one of the best parts I, of this year. I love that you say that. Cause I am such a walk guy and I'll notice yeah. my mood gets worse. Like I'll kind of have a rough week or I'll be like, discouraged or unmotivated 
and I'll look, I'll be like, what happened? And I'll be like, oh, I didn't go outside. Like, even if it's not a walk, like sometimes I'll ride my bike. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go for a walk. Sometimes I'll literally just sit in the sun outside. But if those things go out of my life and I'm too much just inside on the computer, I'm bumming. So I love yeah. that you answered with something so simple. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's the truth. Uh, the people in my neighborhood probably think I'm crazy as I like wander <laughs> the east side of Austin. Texas. Oh, there like, he goes again. I'm not old enough to be like the old wandering man yet, but um, <laughs> I'm just leaning heavily into that that part. I've always got the AirPods in too, so I'm, yep. I look like I'm talking to myself. Um, people on many a conference call have wondered why they've heard like a train going by, but uh, that's it's you that's walking. The new conference call. <laughs> I'm I'm to the point where I can pretty much tell every parked car in my neighborhood. Like I can tell. Oh, they cleaned this car. Oh, they live in this block. Oh, they got new yeah. wheels. Oh, this happened. Like, I am one with my neighborhood at this point. <laughs> you see a lot when you're just on foot and supposed to driving by things. You see like some crazy shit. Everything. So, everything. Entertaining. I love it. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, go out for a walk. If you're listening to this, it's too late to start it by going out for a walk. Maybe I'll do the intro. Maybe I'll be like, at the very end, we talk about going for a walk. Just how do that now while you listen to this. So trust me as you listen to this intro, hit a walk and it'll all make sense. Yeah, I'll do something like that. Exactly. Yeah, now that the sun's at like five o'clock. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. All right, well, I think we should end it here. This was great. Yeah, man, good talking. So there it was, Jack Gallagher's story and perspective on everything going on right now. I hope that that brought you value. I really, really do. I... I it's nice to talk to someone, even on my end, it's nice to talk to somebody like himself and be reminded that there's always something you can do about it and you can get crafty, all these things. So I really hope that inspired you. If you made it to the end and you enjoyed the episode, if you enjoy the podcast in general, the three things that you can always do that help me a ton is subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a review, that's super helpful. Sharing it with your friends on social media and donating to the show. That might be four things. Anyway, any of those things help a ton. You can find the link to donate at whereareallmyfriends.com slash donate. You can find, you can watch the podcast on the website. You can listen to the podcast on the website, all that good stuff. Go there. You'll find everything. Thank you as always for listening. I will be back next week with another episode.